Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Sometimes I'll think, oftentimes I think, uh, you know, Randy, are you really going to preach that? It's so simple. Everybody knows this. Well, everybody knows this today. But I pray it would speak to your heart and my heart as well. And I pray we would be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Appreciate Buck the other night at, the, at Dale's camp. Just while we were being settled, he, he really spent some time teaching the boys gun safety because we, we shot at some targets and so forth. And uh, just thankful for all the people that, that serve in different ways in our church. But look at Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 35. So our Lord is speaking here. It says, when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall save his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. He's talking about taking up a cross and following. I know you've heard this before. I might have been Brother Clendenin or someone I heard say it and someone that said it before him. If, if you were to live in the days of the Roman Empire and crucifixion, Fixing was the means of capital punishment for criminals. You might see somebody walking out of town towards that hill carrying their cross. You might not know their name, their age. You might not know the crime they committed. One thing you knew for sure was they're not coming back. They're not coming back. That's what we're called. We're called to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow the Lord, and we're not going back. I'm not going back to the life he saved me out of. This flesh wants to go back and wants to lean that way and tend that way and like a vacuum and sucking it back that way. But the Bible says greater is he that's in us than he is in the world. And this new man that is created in holiness in Christ Jesus and true righteousness, that man is holy. That man in you and me, that new man, the hidden man of the heart, he wants to go on with the Lord and desires to go on with the Lord. That's what he's called us to do. This seems like, especially verse 35, which we're focusing on, whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life, for my sake and the gospels the same, shall save it. It's another of one of many paradoxes in the Bible. The Bible's filled with them. Christianity is filled with paradoxes. What's a definition of a paradox? Just so we'll know. A seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement. What, in order to save my life, I've got to lose it? That doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense to the natural man. A seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement that when investigated or explains, proves to be true. It looked foolish, right? looks crazy. The Bible is filled with these. Taking up our cross and following the Lord could be one of the biggest paradoxes of all paradoxes. Die in order to save your life. Give it in order to gain it and keep it. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, unless the corn of wheat falls to the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Well, that doesn't make sense. If it dies, it's going to bear fruit. But that's, that's God's way, right? And he compares the Christian life to the same thing we're born again. We die to ourselves. We don't adopt Christ, Jesus Christ into our lives and say, come along for the ride. I would like you to make my life better and easier. That's not the way it works. He already died. 
once for all, and we come to him, and his cross is our cross. We're not dying for the sins of the world. He did that. But in Christ Jesus, his cross is my cross. His death is my death. That's the only way his resurrection life can be my resurrection life, is through coming to the Lord and dying. So it seems there are things that God says in his word. And we just read a statement there from the Lord in, in Mark 8. There are things that every other voice that you have, your own personal voice, the society, friends, people, every other voice will say it's foolish. It's absurd. Every other voice except God. And we have to come to a place where we hear the voice of God. We know it's the voice of God. We can know it primarily from his word and the spirit of truth who guides us into all truth. But we know we've heard from God and we say no matter what those other voices say, no matter how absurd it may seem or appear to men or even to my own flesh, this is what God has said. His word is filled with paradoxes. Every other voice is saying, no, don't do it. It's foolish. And the Lord's saying, this is the way to life. And it's the only way to life. Christ says here in his statement in his ways, it seems to be unwise. It seems to be untrue. It seems to be unrealistic. It seems to be foolish. But upon further examination and study and learning, you could say we come to know, wait, this is the way of true life. This is the way to save my life. I've got to lose it for Christ's sake and the gospel. Seems foolish, but the Lord's ways are not our ways. He wants us to come to know that. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. His ways are not our ways. They're totally different. So we try to put God in a box and fit him into our human reasoning and how we would do things, how other successful people have done things, and it doesn't work out. Church growth or, or life or a happy marriage or raising your children or, or when you're struggling financially to give anyway towards the things of God, and it doesn't seem to make sense. But he says, your ways, your thoughts are not my thoughts. Neither your ways, my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. What he's saying there is either true or it's not true. We know it is true. And if it is, then you and I must cease to, to try to navigate through life by our own means, by our own uh, rationale, by our own intelligence, has nothing to do with our education. I'm all for being educated, okay? It has to do with a godly wisdom that the Lord gives us to know. We have to stop navigating through life, building our plans and trying to fulfill our goals and dreams based on what we think is best and correct out of our own human feelings, instincts, and reasoning. It's instead live by the word of God and by the truth that he gives us in his word. What Jesus says there seems foolish and unwise and untrue to give our lives in order to save it. It doesn't work that way. But are not we the ones that are unwise? Aren't men the ones that are foolish when we refuse his call to die and persist in our own way? When, when men choose their own way apart from the Lord? Aren't we the ones that are really foolish when we refuse to do his will and seek 
to save our lives by all means possible, I would say, Lord, help us, help me to truly know that your thoughts are higher and your ways are higher. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles. Now, that is going to be our key passage is that Mark 8, 35, but I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to read several verses here. We're going to sort of skip around, but let's start in verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1, 18. Paradox, okay? Seems to be untrue until further understanding comes. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, that's lost men, that stay in their lostness, is foolishness. What is the preaching of the cross? Preaching of a man, son of God, that died on the cross, died on a cross as a criminal, so to speak, that, that to the world that's lost is foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Big difference, right? Foolishness on the one hand, the power of God on the other. Which is it? It can't be both. He says it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks or the Gentiles foolishness. Verse 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll read verses 6 through 8. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect or mature, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world, before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So there's a wisdom in this world, and there's a God of this world, and there's influences in this world, and there's our own human nature and carnal reasoning, and then there's the voice of God that stands alone. It stands all by itself, and it holds up the world. The worlds were created by the spoken word of God, and he upholds it all by the word of his power. He's, the Lord commanded it, it was done. He spake and it stood still. He holds it all by the word of his power. That voice, and then there's all these others. And the only one that matters is the Lord's. The only thing that matters in the end is what he's called us to do and what he says. So when he says that whoever shall, whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel of the same shall save it. It seems foolish. But it's not foolish. It's the, he's the only wise God. Wisdom, true wisdom comes from the Lord. The idea of a man seeking to save his own life is really not foreign, is it, or strange. It'd be very natural for a man to try to save his life, prosper his life, further his life, prolong his life. 
it's for nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. It's universal. It's universal to all men of all ages, of all colors and creeds, that men want to save their own lives. Jesus said, for no man yet, I mean, Paul said uh, in Ephesians, for no man yet ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, even as the Lord, the church. People don't hate their own flesh. They love it. They want to take care of it. It's natural. Satan counted on this fact when he went before the Lord, that time when the sons of, of, of the Lord appeared before him, and Satan himself came and stood before the Lord in Job's day. And the Lord says to him, Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth who fears God and shuns evil. There's none like Job. Satan says, yes, look what the, look, I'm going to read from Job chapter 2. Satan counted on this fact that men love their lives and want to preserve it. Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. A man, just in general, not just Job. He said, he's saying, you think God serves you, Lord, because, because you're good to, you, you think he's just faithful to you. I say if you let me touch his body and go after his very being, his existence, his life, his health, and the things of this life that pertain to him that he owns, he will curse you to your face. Put forth, but put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, his bone and his flesh, he will curse thee to thy face. Two things I think about this, two thoughts really. There's Satan's thought and thoughts, and there's God's thoughts in this. Job's not even aware that this is going on at this time. Did Job, is Satan's statement true? Does it, did it prove to be true? That if you let me touch his body, he had sores and boils and sat there like a, uh, on a pile of ashes and a rubble. Everything had been taken from him. Did he curse God? We know with a resounding no. He did not curse God. There's a faith that rises above that. There's the one that listens to this voice of the Lord as opposed. His own wife said, curse God and die. Go ahead and curse him and get it over with, Job. You're just prolonging your misery. Curse God and die. If, he was, if Job had only been a religious man and maybe heard of God didn't truly believe in God, if God wasn't real to him, if, if God wasn't in the equation, so to speak, or in the picture, then he probably would have done exactly what Satan said. He would try to preserve his life, and after seeing that that was hopeless, he would have gone on and just given up the ghost and not believed in the Lord. But God is in the picture. God is very much in the picture. He's our creator. He's the Lord. And so he said, Satan said, all that a man has will he give for his life. It actually seems very reasonable to the human man, right? We just read about the wisdom of this world in 1 Corinthians. And then there's the wisdom of God. It seems fairly reasonable that men would fight for their lives, that they would give all to preserve their lives and to keep living because according to them, eat, drink, and be merry. When your life's over, it's over. That's what the, the natural man would say and what Satan would want us to believe. 
do all you can, pay whatever money you have, give whatever you have and can possibly give in order to prolong your life, this life, to bless your life, to prosper your life. It all makes sense to the carnal man if God and truth and eternity and sin and eternal redemption and heaven and hell and communion with God and so forth is not in the picture, but they're very much in the picture. And he's trying to wake us up to that fact. They're not, if they're not in the equation, but they are in the equation. People that die without Christ and die in defiance of the Lord and die in unbelief, they're going to face the Lord and there's no redos. That's it. And they're going to understand how foolish they were and what seemed to be foolish and the foolishness of all those Christians that they knew. They're going to wish they had listened to that voice. Amen. The word of God proclaims this truth. That the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us that are saved is the power of God. It can't be both. It's one or the other. Which is it? It's exactly what God says it is. It's the power of God. So we went out Thursday night sharing the gospel with people. Some sitting there drinking their beers after work. And we're saying, can we talk to you about the Lord? Sure. Some weren't interested. Some listened. Some say they're already Christians. You know, every kind of thing you can think. My views are different than yours. There's all kinds of different views. But the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. If somebody's going to be saved, that's how they're going to be saved. They're not going to be saved some other way. I want to define these words. When Jesus says, whoever will save his life shall lose it. What does save mean? Someone that will save their life. It means to protect. Protect it, to make whole, to deliver, to do well. I want to protect my life, my interest, everything around my little life. I want it to be well. Well, who doesn't? want their life to be well and protected. But the way to keep it is not the way that man says to keep it. The way for it to be preserved is by giving it to Christ. Whoever will save his life shall lose it. What does it mean to lose? It doesn't mean like lose your car keys, which is very frustrating, or lose your wallet or your checkbook or something like this or your credit card and can't remember where you left it. It doesn't mean that. Lose here, whoever will save his life shall lose it means to destroy fully, to perish, to die. You know what the Lord's telling everyone in this passage right here about taking up our cross, losing our, our lives for Christ's sake? He says there's something and someone worth more than your life is worth. All this that, that are ta- kids are taught so much about self-esteem, and I don't think we're supposed to hate ourselves in that sense or beat ourselves up cut ourselves and those kind of things, but most people don't have a real problem with self-esteem. You know, they, they love themselves, and they think the world owes them something and so forth, most people. And so uh, we need to lose our lives. There's something greater than your life, and that is your life being given for, to Christ and my life being to Christ. There's something that's far more eternal and lasting and valuable than my earthly life here. This life, y'all, is not going to last. This planet's not going to last. This earth's not, and I don't know when it's going to happen. I know it's ahead of us. But this life is not going to last. And so there, there is a life gained only by losing my own. 
The life that's gained is the life of Christ, and it's gained only one way, not a, multiple ways. It's gained only by losing my life. There's a life that's taken up only by means of me laying my life down. But it's very specific. You can't just lay your life down or up me for any old good cause in something that we think is worthwhile and good. It's essential that you and I give ourselves and give our lives and lose our lives, as Jesus put it, for my sake, he said, and for the gospels. It's very specific. Not for any old good cause, but solely and wholly for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's an exchange here in this giving our lives and losing it for Christ, and then we get something back. We don't even get just back that old sinful life. We get his life. We get eternal life. We get abundant and eternal free. But it comes only as we lose ourselves fully for the Lord, for his sake, for his gospel. What does the word sake mean? For my sake in the gospels, Jesus said. It means on account of, by reason of, or because of. And it's a free will choice you make. I have a husband that makes that choice and a wife that does not. I have a brother that makes that choice and a, and a sister that does not. It happens, right? It's a free will choice. The Lord wants all to come. But by laying down our lives for the Lord and giving it to Christ, we take up his life. And we walk in it and we possess it and we have it and it's ours and it can't be taken from us ever. We're in the Father's hands. The, Jesus said no one can pluck us from the Father's hands. We lose our lives for Jesus Christ and his gospel, and he then gives his own life to us. It's a great trade. It's a great exchange on, for us. It's a great exchange, and the Lord loves us. He gives to us eternal life and abundant life. We lose our lives in order to save it. We lose our lives in order to keep it, but we really are losing our sin. He takes it from us. The wages of sin is death. He takes that. He removes the curse. Death, where is your sting, right? Grave, where is your victory? Well, the, the strength of the, the sting of death is sin. And the Lord removes that out of the way. But it only comes one way in, in full surrender to Christ, giving our lives to the Lord. We lose our lives. He takes our sin. And in exchange, we receive forgiveness of sins and redemption and eternal life. We lose our own inheritance. What is our inheritance? Corruptible, the Bible says. Incorruptible, perishable inheritance. And we become partakers of Christ's incorruptible life and body one day and inheritance that is the Lord's. We become partakers of all of that inheritance of the Lord. We lose as Jim Elliott said, and I'll probably misquote it a little bit, we lose what we could never actually keep to gain what we can, can never be lost. He lost his life in this life as a young man, very successful, and at the time a very uh, well-known and popular evangelist with the family. But he lost his life to bring the gospel for the Lord's sake and for the gospel. And I promise he's got it. He's got his life now got the Lord's life. I always like to think, 
oh, the, the, the headlines of the paper when, when he and the others were killed there in Ecuador where it's like uh, tragedy or a waste of, of a good life. He would say, brother, you don't know what you're talking about. There's no waste to give your life for Jesus Christ, to spend and be spent for the Lord. Only way to, to save our life is to give it all. There is no other way to give it all for the Lord, for his gospel. The Lord had given me this, this song last week. I shared it, those that were here. I'm just going to read a couple of lines of it. it, it it's, this isn't from Randy to the church. This is from the Lord to the church. It is from the Lord to me. Okay, so when I read just a few lines of it, verse 12, uh, tw well, I have it written out. Maybe he'd give me everything if I'd seek first his kingdom. Maybe he'd clothe our lives with grace like lilies of the field. Maybe my life is worthless here if not lived for my Savior. Maybe to have my treasure there, it must be given here. Maybe I really am a fool if I build earthly kingdoms. Maybe the greatest riches come to those who give it all. Well, there's no maybes about it. That's exactly what the Lord says. Isn't it paradox? It's a paradox of all paradoxes. We give our lives for the Lord, and what we get back is so much greater. Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. The Lord laid down his life for us, we know. That's the greatest life and the greatest sacrifice that's ever made. He did it in love, but he also calls us as his children and followers to do the same. Not necessarily for the same purpose. He did it to redeem us. We don't, don't do it to redeem anyone. We do it out of love for our Savior. We give our, ourselves to the Lord. If he chooses to use me up and burn me out and spin me up and call me home in a week or if he wants me to live another you know 80 years on this planet I, I don't think I would live 80 but uh, uh, live a long time on this earth however he chooses that you and I that those lives would be lived and given without reservation to the Lord that's how we give our lives by the way y'all that's how Jesus did it he hung and what would seem to be a very humiliating state. Probably had little clothes around him, but not much. And hanging for the world to see, and not a very pleasant sight. And people at the time laughing at him and cursing at him and scoffing him. The night before, they'd been pulling his beard out of his face. They beat him close to death, and, and now he's hanging up there. And, and he gave his life fully and completely not partial, partially, partially, he gave it completely. And that is the call of taking up our cross and denying ourselves to follow the Lord. Our life is to be given of our own volition, of our own free will, without reservation to the Lord. There's, there's that day you got saved or going to be saved if you're not, and I pray it's today. And there are those days in your life where you're going through life and the Lord says, you haven't, you haven't surrendered all to me. 
and you say, you're right, Lord, I, I thought I had, I thought I was doing pretty good, but he says, this, you haven't surrendered your children to me. You still hang on to them. You think you can keep them better than I can keep them. You haven't given your children to me, and you agonize and sweat and pray, and, and you say, oh, God, you got to help me. And he says, I'll help you, and he helps you. And it's a new freedom. It's a new liberty. And we go on through life, and he shows us something else. And everything hits closer and closer to home. Everything hits closer and closer to what is most precious to us. And he says, I want that. I want that right there. I want you to give all of that. We don't come to the Lord and say, I want to give everything except that, Lord. We don't have a bargaining chip. We don't have those things that we reserve unto ourselves. It's not a matter of, you know, if you go to buy a house and you say, or sell a house, you say, I want to get, get the most for my house without giving the most. I want to get the most as I can. And they say, well, I don't care. Your ping pong table stay too. Uh, well, that's about $300. I don't know. You know, you're thinking, can, you want to get the most for your house without with giving the least. That's just business, okay? That's just business. Nothing wrong with that in one sense. But that's not how it is when we come to the Lord. This is not a matter of gaining the most by giving as little as possible. The call that the Lord has called us to is we gain all by giving all. And there's no bargaining and there's no in-between. And there's not 90%, 20%. And I gave a little more than I wanted to, but, but it worked out in the end. We gain all by giving ourselves fully to the Lord. And he gives to us infinitely more than we could possibly give. We're giving him our sinned, sinful, wicked lives. And he takes us up and makes us his sons and his daughters. Amen? I'm going to bring this to a close. But our call, as I said, a paradox, is seemingly of all paradoxes, is to no longer seek to save, to preserve, to keep our lives, but to completely lose them our very lives for the Lord Jesus Christ in order to actually save our life. That's the only way it can be saved. And yet, listen, y'all, for every man, woman, child, it is going to be your life or his life. It's not going to be both. It's going to be your life lived out how you want it to, to live it, or it's going to be his life where you're bought by the blood of Jesus and you are his possession. That's what the scriptures tell us we are, the purchased possession of God. It cannot be both. And the question simply is. Which will it be, your life or his life? Jesus said no man can seek to serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God in riches. You cannot. It doesn't say it's difficult. It's a hard juggling act to try to do it. He says you can't. So when the Lord tells us you can't, then we shouldn't try to do it. Okay? To try, and he says we give ourselves wholly and solely to the Lord. Not some of it, but all of it. And we receive everything from the Lord. Simply this morning, we're talking about 
the cost of discipleship, and that is the cost of discipleship. We're not talking about the cost of salvation, and it's important to differentiate. You don't have to do all these things, take up your cross and all these things and live sold out to Jesus, and then he says in the end, I will save you. He saves us at the beginning. When we say, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I come to you, and I know you died for my sins and rose again, and with my, as much as I understand, as much as I possibly can, you said that you're the Savior, and I believe in you and upon you. Wash me in your blood, cleanse me, be my Lord and Savior. And he says, done. You're saved. You're my child. If you die, you're going to heaven. You are mine forever. Then he calls us and says, everyone he saves, he calls us to be disciples Nowhere are we told to be converts, or nowhere are we told to make converts of others. The call is a call of discipleship, and simply saying there is a cost to discipleship, and you shouldn't try to sugarcoat it. I shouldn't, nor should you. The cost is everything. You, you show me a place in the scripture where you see something different than that. We see it's taking up our cross, denying ourselves. It's nothing else, and it's nothing less then complete surrender to the Lord. So it is very wise to count the cost. To count the cost. And then we, we obey. In the end, that's the voice we're going to listen to. We give our wills to the Lord and give our lives to the Lord. It costs something to be a disciple of Jesus Christ because primarily it's death to self. But also, we're living in the midst of a world that, for the most part, does not know the Lord. And, and we're at odds. We're, we're just, looked at as the off-scourging of the world, uh, Paul said. We're a spectacle to the world and so forth. It's only by the Spirit of the Lord that we're able to do it. We count the cost. We understand it. And we choose it because we're choosing Christ. And we say, you are worth it. Knowing you, being your disciple, walking with you is worth it. And embrace it. And the Lord lifts us up. And we, we thought, I could never do it. Well, you couldn't do it. He, he's going to do it through you. It's Christ in you. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lost man could never do it. He picked up the Bible and said, I'm going to start being a disciple of Christ without first being born again. He couldn't possibly do it. And I would say a saved man can do it, but we can only do it by the strength that the Lord gives us, by the power that he supplies as we fully trust in him, as we fully abide in him, and as we fully die to ourselves and let him live in and through us. I'm going to close with one passage. D, you can come. Turn back to Mark chapter 10. We were in Mark 8. We're going to close in Mark chapter 10. Let's read verse 28 through 31. Mark 10, 28. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that have left house or brethren or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold, hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first 
shall be last and the last shall be first. One of the verses in that song that the Lord gave me said, maybe to be a servant, I take my cross and follow. Maybe I gain his holy life when I deny myself. That's how we gain it. That's how we gain it. Foolishness to the world, but the wisdom of all wisdom that God gives. I want you to live, and I want myself to live. I want your children to live. I want God's people to live in such a way that we don't have regrets when we get to heaven. I think that would be a terrible thing. We don't have to live with regrets. We can live for the Lord every day. So we don't say, I wish I'd have done this, this, and this. The Lord was telling me 20 years ago to do this, five years ago to do this, and I didn't do it because I didn't want to. I thought it was too costly. I want to be able to give it all and have no strings attached to anything. I'm not saying I'm there yet. I'm saying I want to be there, and God's getting me there. And you want to be there, and God's getting you there. It's where the last string or two is cut, and you're just the Lord's. You're not attached to anything. I'm not saying you don't love your family or take care of your children or go to work tomorrow. I'm saying the strings are cut, and it's just the Lord's. Whether I live, to live is Christ, to die is gain, is what Paul said. The altars are open. I think that the, the altar call this morning is pretty simple and straightforward and, and evident. It's a call of whoever will save his life will lose it. Whoever will lose his life for my sake in the Gospels, the, sh the same shall save it. And Father, we just come before you.